Look to Jesus, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a long reading. If you, have, if you need to sit, that's okay. The Holy Gospel according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave to me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer and the Jewish police, arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police who had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. 
When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was abandoned. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! 
and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to him, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. And carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided him into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, 
and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and his disciple, whom he loved, standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because the Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified, so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one, because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Todd and Debbie, I wonder if you'd be willing to um, increase the lights under the thermostat. There's a dimmer, uh, maybe halfway, please. It's, a, it's pretty dark. It's a very small dimmer, just to the, yeah, 
Yeah, perfect. Maybe just halfway up. And then there's one on the other switch as well. Thank you. Let us pray. Holy God, we confess that this is a difficult night to remember, a difficult day to remember, but we thank you that even in the most difficult moments, your grace can be found. So open our hearts to see your grace at work in your crucifixion and even in our world today. Amen. Is there anything good about Good Friday? Is there anything holy about Holy Friday? We don't like to see Jesus die. It gives us no satisfaction. I've always felt ambivalent about Good Friday and the variety of traditions in it, the Stations of the Cross, the Seven Last Words, the Tenebrae service. There's a small amount of flexibility in the passing on of rituals and traditions. It's hard to change them because by definition, that's what a tradition is a way of conserving the past. Religion seems to be irreducibly conservative in the process of traditioning. That's why we gather each Good Friday, even though it's hard. And yet traditions are not completely set. The transmission of Tradition is not an airtight process. It's messy. There's a lot of cross-breeding, cross-pollination in tradition. Some change happens. One driving force of change is death. In death, we lose people, animals, plants and other living things, which at one point in their lives were essential to the performance of tradition. You can imagine traditions that the disciples might have had with Jesus. There must have been little things, little traditions that we don't read about. At least twice in the Gospel of John, we do read a disclosure that says there were many more things that happened that are not written, probably including traditions. And some that were written, like the washing of the feet last night and Holy Communion in the other Gospels. So when Jesus died on the cross, the disciples had to figure out what to do about their traditions. To be honest, when Jesus died, the disciples were probably 
not figuring a whole lot out besides avoid getting killed themselves and managing the profound grief and trauma of seeing their rabbi killed by a collaboration between religion and government. But our brains and our minds are amazing things. They're always working. And even while traumatized, they are working on what to do next. Who will be in charge? How will we continue the work? And what about Judas? Maybe Judas really wanted to see things go in a different direction. Maybe he wanted a hard break from the traditions of Jesus. We saw a couple weeks ago how he tried to spoil what Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and Martha's gift of anointing. It's ironic how he who bears much of the responsibility of Jesus' death, Judas, would try to deny acknowledging it during Mary's anointing of Jesus. I think Judas must have felt insecure and guilty about it, which is why he criticized it. That's something I can relate to, and maybe you can too. I have at times criticized others, and then moments later realized or wondered if I didn't commit the exact same errors, and I felt insecure about my own issues. My sixth grade teacher said, when you point a finger at someone, you have three fingers pointing back at yourself. Could things have gone differently? Could things be different now? Or are we doomed to make the same mistakes over and over again? Scapegoating the innocent for the collective problems we all have a role in. We say that today is good because Jesus died for our sins. And how can we say it is good and in the same breath condemn and criticize Judas? He played a role. We all play a role. Jesus said to Pilate, the one who handed him over has committed a greater sin than Pilate. Well, who would that be? Who had authority over Pilate and handed Jesus over to Pilate and committed a greater sin? Was it the high priest? Was it Judas? Was he talking about the emperor or Herod or the crowd? 
Who has the final and ultimate say in what happens? You might think back to the garden when they came for Jesus. Peter, wanting to protect his rabbi, took out his sword and was ready for battle. Cut off somebody's ear, Malchus, and Jesus said, put your sword away. Am I not to drink from the cup that the Father has prepared for me? Was God responsible for Jesus' crucifixion? If this whole thing was God's plan, then isn't God responsible? Is it possible that Jesus felt angry at his God, at his Father? Some people might say, eh, it's because of our free will that Jesus died, so you can't pin it on God. But wasn't it God that gave us some kind of a will anyway? Many theologians question the existence of a free will altogether. On Good Friday, God stands trial, quite literally. Is God found guilty? Is God guilty of the death of Jesus, His own Son? This might sound like a scandalous question to ask, but if we can't ask this question on Good Friday, can we ever even talk about it? When it seems tempting to consider that God has failed us and a profound emptiness settles into our hearts, we can be surprised that strangely, life goes on. Unlikely figures step forward to care for Jesus at the moment of His death, and they care for His body even after His death. Not long before the pandemic, our congregation lost a dear couple of this church. First to go was Evelyn, Wilkie, and shortly thereafter, her husband, Jim, Jim Wilkie, who made the very cross that we will use in the procession tonight, and many of the wood items in the catechesis atrium and the confirmation pictures that hang in the fellowship hall. Jim died quite unexpectedly. Loretta went to go visit him to check in on him after church because he wasn't at church, and she found him dead. She called me, and I went over. When I got there, the San Bernardino sheriff deputy was waiting outside. He was standing guard, making sure that Jim's body was safe. I thought that was kind of cool. 
He was very kind to us, giving us time to look after Jim while we waited for the morticians to come. When I went inside and saw Jim sitting on his couch, I felt really sad. I was sad because something about it just didn't seem right, like it wasn't his time. If you remember back, our church was getting organized to help Jim. Darlene had gone over and cleaned his much as she could, their house. We were organizing groups to go paint the outside of his coach and to pull the weeds so that he could sell it. We were helping do research to find affordable housing for him. We were all mobilized to help him in his time of need. And when he died, it all just stopped. Even though he died, it was remarkable to consider, as I saw him, he looked beautiful. It was remarkable to consider how his body had supported his life for so many years, a really rich story. How many trips around the sun he had gone on. And so we sat there holding a kind of vigil that afternoon until the morticians came. And when they came, they were really nice too. They were very kind in how they treated Jim. So at the same time that I felt sad and pain at the injustice of his untimely death and the plans we had made for the next chapter of his life, there was a kind of comfort in the kindness and gentleness that our own church family had shown him and that total strangers showed him too, even at the time of his death. And so let me say again, when it seems tempting to consider that God has failed us and a profound emptiness settles into our hearts, we can be surprised that strangers somehow Life goes on. Unlikely figures step forward to care. I think that's where we find the grace and the good news on Good Friday. Jesus' beloved disciple takes Mary, Jesus' mom, into his own home, and she becomes his mother. A Roman soldier gives Jesus a drink of wine, attending to Jesus' dying wish for something to drink. And when commanded to brutalize the bodies by breaking their legs, they didn't, not to Jesus. They showed him mercy at the hour of his death. And then Joseph of Arimathea, And Nicodemus, who were too cowardly to come out publicly as Jesus' disciples, finally stepped forward and let the world know their love for Jesus, spending lots of money 
on a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe, linens, to wrap Jesus' body and show him tender, loving care. And some gracious person donates their private tomb in the middle of a garden. Other translations call it an orchard, which we can imagine based on where we live. And don't you think it's kind of beautiful if you think about it to be buried in a garden? So when we're tempted to think that God has failed us, imperfect human beings step forward and show incredible love and care. Animals, plants, and nature also show deep, profound empathy and comfort to the afflicted. Maybe that's why it's a good and holy Friday. Because even in our darkest hour, we can be surprised by the goodness and holiness somehow defiantly existing against all odds. Amen. We sing our hymn of the day, Were You There? Please stand as you're able.